we are officially at the tail end of fresh hop season, which means that all those fresh hop beers will start being released, which is a, one of my favorite times of year. And Bellingham is having what I believe to be is the first kind of fresh hop festival. It's called the Fresh Hop Forum, hosted by the good folks at the Aslan Depot. That is this Saturday, September 29th, from 3 to 11 p.m., downtown Bellingham at the Aslan Depot, Barrels, and Blending. And we have our own event at Overflow Taps in Linden on October 3rd. That's a Wednesday at 6 p.m. We're calling that the Fresh Hop Tap Takeover, where we'll be featuring some of our favorite Fresh Hop beers for you to taste. Those will be two great events for you to attend if you're into Fresh Hop beers. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome to the Overflow Taps Craft Beer Experience. What's up, craft beer fans? Welcome to our show, where we talk about anything craft beer with a heavy emphasis on tasting the beer. My name is Jesse Nelson, and as always, I'm here with my good friend, business partner, and fellow craft beer fan, Adam Stacy. Hey, everyone. We've got a special podcast for you today as we are on site at the Aslan Depot in Bellingham, Washington, for our second ever Meet the Brewer uh, podcast. Joining us today is co-owner and brewmaster of Aslan Brewing Company, Frank Trossett. What's up, guys? So, Frank, I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, in business, there are many relationships formed that are more like acquaintances. And um, I didn't know you before we started Overflow Taps, and I barely knew Adam before we started Overflow Taps. And in a similar fashion, uh, through the art of craft beer, um, both of you guys have become really good friends in the process. And so I just Absolutely. wanted to thank you for all you've done for us and your support and all that good stuff. Heck yeah, man. That's one of the things that makes craft beer uh, a very special thing is is having the relationships that get formed and meeting new people. You know, it's a great avenue to uh, make new friends. So yeah, man, yeah, man. If you guys you guys can't see it, but he's gazing into my eyes right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Adam, let's do this. What do we got? Yeah, so we're gonna be talking about a few different beers today. Let's start off with with this first one. Um, so Frank, what's what's this beer we have in front of us? So this beer is uh, Munich style Helles. Um, we called it Das Boot, uh, which we seems appropriate. Probably, yeah, That's it's appropriate. kind of a, a silly name, but um, you know, oftentimes uh, there's a tendency to get a little bit too wrapped up in like taking yourself serious. So I mean, while we took took like the creation of the beer extremely serious, um, the name was just kind of like a a fun way to kind of poke fun at some of the uh, the lore surrounding uh, Oktoberfest as a, a drinking event. So I think everyone knows Definitely. what Das Boot <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, everyone's got to figure it out. <laughs> Who hasn't seen Beer Fest, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so this this beer um, means a lot to me because it was something that I tried really hard to actually pay a lot of attention to all the details. There's certain beer for me that when I'm thinking about making uh a beer you're like okay is this a, a beer where we're trying to be like creative and artsy or are we trying to recreate something that someone else has already done in the past and in this case uh if you're going to call it a munich style hellas then you're not trying to get artsy and creative right you're right, paying attention right, right, right. to you know the, the people guidelines yeah yeah without a doubt so and there's it's it's a lot of fun to you know pay credence to uh, style, um, if you're trying to actually go that route, but it's also fun to have beer that you can get creative with too. So for this one, uh, some of the, the main elements, uh, with making a Hellas is, is doing it the way that, uh, it should be done. 
So decoction style mash, which means mm -hmm. that we actually like cooked the mash, boiled it. And our brew house cool. is set up That's so cool. that we're actually able to do that. We have a, a mash mixer, um, which actually we can apply heat to. And then we have a lauder ton, which is what you use to extract the wort from the, uh, the solids. The right, right. And this is probably a pretty rare form of mashing you got or do you guys use yeah in, in modern in modern uh brewing it's not really used uh, all that much just because it's time uh intensive um i think the mash program on this beer was like five and a half hours uh, usually Crazy. We're, we're looking at like total residency in the in the the mash mixer of like an hour and a half wow. so is there, is there not a lot of breweries that have a setup to be able to do this style of mashing i don't know exactly but i would be willing to bet that most breweries um that are in the craft world don't have a dedicated mash mixer that you can apply heat to um and that's just because that piece of equipment is fairly expensive and it's not necessarily needed for making beer so if you're talking about like uh, english style ales which is really what kicked off craft brewing in the united states you're just doing straight infusion style mash and you, you don't need a mash mixer for that. You have a mash lauder ton, which is a combo vessel. You can make all kinds of beer with a, a mash lauder ton uh, combo vessel, um, but you can't do a, de a decoction style mash in that vessel. You would need a mash cooker or a mash mixer that you can move the wort or the, the wort and the mash in and out of. Gotcha, very interesting, very interesting. So yep. what, what uh, effects can we expect to, to taste or um, have in the mouthfeel for from a decoction mass versus so, infusion. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the one of the things that really pops to me in this beer is this kind of like honeysuckle uh, malty flavor that comes out of it. Um, and yeah, I've definitely picked up on picked, that. Is there? That yeah. yeah, it's got this like soft uh, malty sweetness that I don't think you'd really be able to pull that out of a beer if you weren't you know um, breaking down uh the malt the way you do with a decoction style mash so. very cool definitely get honeysuckle on this thing although yeah. i don't know if i would have been able to really describe it until you said it but that's typically how it goes for me <laughs> right, so right that helps a lot it's got a yeah, nice so. nice malt character to it though for sure Thanks. i see that yeah and i think one of the the really defining elements of a hellas is having um a nice sturdy maltiness that's not like uh I don't know. Like oftentimes when people think malty, it can get like cloying and like overpowering. Right. Uh, so in this sense, you are just kind of looking for, um, you want malt to be the, the breadwinner, so to say, in, in this style of beer. Um, like this it. isn't about hops. I mean, it is to a degree, but you need balance. But this isn't like a true German style Pilsner where you're right, going to have right, right. A, a fair bit of, of hoppiness in that beer. Uh, beer. So this is more reliant on malt and the flavors that you're going to get from that. That's cool. That's really, really cool. So anyway, decoction style mash, that was the first thing that uh, we paid uh, specific attention to. Um, <clears throat> we did use uh, Skagit Valley Pilsner malt in this. Um, so that was kind of, uh, you know, more of a sense of place for us because that's uh, obviously right down the street and we use their malt quite a bit. Um, Whereas if you were in Munich, obviously you're not using Skagit Valley malt. Right, right, right. <laughs> so you could bring in, you know, Weirman, which is a world-renowned uh, malt. Um, we have some Irex, which is also a, a very well-known uh, German pilsner or malt house 
they obviously produce Pilsner malt. But for this beer, we used uh, Skadra Valley Pilsner malt. We used uh, uh, Hallertau uh, Herzbrucker, um, which is a more modern version of Middlefru, uh, which is like one of the you know most world-renowned German hops that you can mm-hmm. get your hands on. Very um, cool. And that was mainly because uh, the alpha acids on the Herzbrucker are so much lower. It was at like 2.2%. So we're looking for just the flavor of the hop without getting the bitterness. For those that aren't aren't familiar with the alpha acids, so that's that's what's going to affect the bitterness of the beer? Yeah, absolutely. So the higher the alpha acid of the hop, uh, the more um, potential bittering uh, it can in part cool. onto the beer. Um, and a lot of American uh, hops are extremely high, especially compared to the German varieties. Um, so we're looking for really low alpha acids. Obviously, in this case, we wanted to use German hops only. So did that. Uh, we boiled it for two hours. That also helps kind of bring out a greater depth of malt character. And then uh, fermented it very cold over a long period of time. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. And I think one of the things that is really important, uh, especially in Germany, you're going to find that they're not adding CO2 to the beer. Okay. Oh, so interesting. when you get, and you know, I'm sure that's not the case at every German brewery, the larger ones probably, um, have cut corners and are doing that. Right. Um, <clears throat> there's a technique called spunding. Um, there's a couple ways to do this. You can krausen the beer as well, but we spunded it. Um, and that basically means that you're capturing CO2 from the final parts of fermentation, uh, cool. into the beer. So the CO2, uh, when yeast is, is fermenting, it's creating alcohol and CO2. Normally, you're blowing the CO2 off into a bucket. Right. And so, in this case, at the end of fermentation, you, you can't capture all of it. Otherwise, you'd overpressurize your fermenter and it would yeah. explode. <laughs> Not something you want to have no, happen. No, no. But near the end of fermentation, you can uh, cap the CO2. And you have to be paying close attention to how your fermentation is going and where you're at and have a very good idea of like where you think it's going to end. So, mm. you know at the proper time what time to cap the tank and start capturing co2 crazy so it's kind of like bottle conditioning on a very large scale yep and it works really well with lagers because you're typically fermenting pretty cold and co2 is a lot more absorbent into beer as the temperature of the beer decreases so with a spunding device you actually allow co2 to escape at a controlled rate at a specific uh, pressure and because the beer is a lot colder, uh, a lot more of that CO2 that's getting produced is actually being absorbed into the beer. So for for this beer, um, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, for this beer, there was absolutely no unnatural CO2 that was added to it. So was, wow, that was a that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, so like, so like know, when I mean, we tap left. it at the tap house, <laughs> I'm going to put unnatural CO2 <laughs> in that thing. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's so interesting. That's, that's this beer. Uh, that's really I cool. find it to be, uh, like I said, uh, honeysuckle is the the malt profile for me that I, that I pull out of it. Tangerine a little bit. Not in an estuary way, but uh, in a uh, flavor, uh, yeah. olfactory kind of experience. Yeah, this is good. So I have a question. We can This can be either on or off the record. But I, um, so we installed the engravings on the bottom of some of our glasses yep. just for pretty much the cool effect. Yep. 
And then, like, maybe, like, a month later or so, I saw you make an Instagram story post about, like, not <laughs> needing the engravings. So the question that Adam had, which I thought was really good, was does, or someone did, I think it was Adam, does the engraving, does it make it so that way, if you don't drink the beer fast enough, does it make the beer go flatter? Uh, yeah, technically, I mean, you're releasing a lot more CO2. Um, part of the reason for etching the bottom of the glass is so that you get the visual effect of CO2 coming out of a solution. And there's certainly, there's, there's nothing wrong. I, I mean, I was, uh, <laughs> I know I'm just wondering, I was wondering, <laughs> I, I wasn't making a statement like, Oh, like etching in the glass is the wrong way to do it. Uh, it was more of like Definitely a, this a in proud the podcast. moment being like, wow, this glass doesn't have any etching and look at all the CO2 that's coming out. <laughs> That could have likely been because the glass was maybe a little dirty. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I had a, had a few pilsners at that point. Um, so in no way is engraving, like brewers don't really view that as a negative thing. At that. I, I mean, I don't look at it as a negative thing. I go to plenty of outstanding um, lager breweries that do have slight etching in the bottom of the glass for that reason. The other effect with the etching is when you're getting that CO2 release, it's continuing to build the head mm-hmm. as you're drinking the beer. So mm-hmm. that is another important element. If you're in Germany, and it's, it's really funny, if you're in Europe in general, if you get delivered a beer that is like poured to the brim without any head on it, which is the way some American I really hate people, that. Oh, God, it is I, the absolute worst. I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, when I go to a place that pours beer like that, I just like, I just cringe. I'll I could tell probably them. only have one beer and then yeah, I gotta leave. Or like the next beer, I'm just gonna tell them. And then if I know if I go to a place that does it traditionally, I'll just tell them. Like I, you know, the places in town that do it. So I'm just like I and I just like, can I get a really good head on this beer, please? Yeah. And I feel like I'm being a pain, but like yeah. we have a few customers that come in that will ask for it specifically. Like make sure to give me like a really tall head on yeah. that. And yeah. it's like, all right, yeah, I like that. Can <laughs> yeah, there's, there's some about that that is just more pleasing, you know? Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah, dude, Frank, like. What's your story? Like, where are you from? Do you have any siblings? Well, we know you have at least one sibling. Yep. And where did you go to school? Like that kind of thing. Yeah. So I grew up in uh, in North Idaho, in this little town called Bonners Ferry, which is uh, about as far from the Canadian border as Bellingham is. So for some reason, I've spent most of my life that's hilarious, like hugging the the Canadian border. <laughs> um, that's pretty funny. Yeah. But actually, you know, so that town, as obscure as it is, one of the main employers in in this tiny town that has like 2,500 people in it is uh, a hop farm that is owned by Budweiser. Oh, (laughs) man. The next question was going to be, did you get some hops? Yeah. No. Um, that, that farm actually was the first farm in Idaho that was growing Amarillo. And Budweiser has been growing it there for... I think 10 or so years, maybe longer. So anyway, that was kind of one of the things about that farm that is kind of cool. That's their thing. Yeah, that's um, rad. That's most rad of it is, is CTZ, I believe, or Willamette mm-hmm. that they're growing up there. I don't quote me on any of that. I don't specifically <laughs> know. I do know that there's a hot farm there and it employs a lot of people. <laughs> that's um, awesome. The other cool thing is that right across the border in uh, Creston, which is where uh, my brother and I grew up playing hockey up there. And we were the American kids that would come up on the yeah. weekends and play hockey. And <laughs> and uh, at first, the Cana- the Canadians were not hyped on our presence. But oh, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> after, after a few years of doing that, they, they decided to include us. But uh, it, that town itself is where Kokanee was originally brewed. 
Oh, that's wow. So if, you're, if you're a fan of Kokanee, uh, you got to go. I, I, I don't know. I think the, the brewery's been bought by a larger conglomerate at this point. Crazy. Yeah. And it's probably brewed elsewhere. But back in the day, everyone drank Kokanee. Even yeah. in even in Idaho, because they'd bring it down there, and like yeah. that was yeah. the fancy that beer. That was the beer. <laughs> yeah. That was the fancy beer. Yeah. So you were destined to go into beer, is yeah. what you're saying? I guess so, man. <laughs> I don't know. So I, I was I was around uh, uh, one of my favorite light lager breweries um, as a young young kid. That's crazy. So yeah, I grew up there. I do have a brother. His name's Bo. Uh, Bo is the sales and distribution manager for Aslan. We know him well. Yep. He's an okay guy, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. I might cut this nah, yeah, he's, yeah. We don't yeah, give him any spotlight. Yeah, I don't give him any spotlight. No, it's, it's pretty great working with your brother. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, those relationships and business, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. the friendship element is, is really important. And a lot of that comes down to like being able to have difficult conversations and be able to walk away and still be friends, yeah. right? Absolutely. Right. So, Absolutely. Um, even even when everything is is puppy dogs and ice cream, there's still tough absolutely stuff that that goes down. So, that's so a, it's it's nice having that type of relationship with someone that you work so closely with. Uh, yeah. So uh, on to the next part of that question, which was what? Where yeah. where did I go to yeah, school? Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> what, what brought you to like what brought you? Did you go to college somewhere around here? Did you not? Did you skip it? Did you? Um, I actually so I went to college down in Florida. Growing up in North Idaho was kind of like a, you know, it was an experience in, in itself. But when it was time to go to college, my grandma, who lives in Florida, actually like talked me into it because I wasn't going to go. And my whole dad's side of the family lives down in Florida. And a couple of my cousins were going to the school in Jacksonville, which I had no idea where Jacksonville was. Um, yeah. But I just knew it was in Florida. Yeah. And, uh, in Florida. and I was like, man, I, I, going there they're like yeah we're gonna get this house on the beach it's like okay sign me up (laughs) so i moved to florida i'd grown up doing construction because that's what my dad uh, does and has done for a living so they just so happened they had a a program for construction management very cool so they let me in and i graduated five years later (laughs) and uh then spent two years in florida you know trying to get a job and working as a a junior project manager yeah and at that time, I had started to pick up home brewing, and so I was kind of like brewing in my my uh, garage, um, which is a yeah, pretty standard thing I think for a home yep, brewer. Yep. And just yeah, from that moment of you know being down there, you know, craft beer wasn't really. This was in I graduated in two thousand nine. Craft beer wasn't really a a big deal yet, yeah. at least down there, right. Um, but I, you know, coming from the Northwest, you know, craft beer has kind of been more of a staple around here for a lot longer. And mm-hmm. my parents lived, uh, when I moved to Florida, they moved to, uh, Bellingham. Oh. So when I'd come home on breaks and whatnot, together. you know, there's a lot more access to craft beer. Yeah. Right. So yeah. You're, you're drinking a lot better beer when you're coming home for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Plus yeah. mom and dad are That's paying for rad, it. That's pretty rad actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's pretty rad. So what, what brought you back to Billingham then? Eventually you just, you're like, I'm ready to go? Yeah. So I worked for a couple of years doing junior project management stuff and uh, the economy was pretty bad at that time. And so construction was really down in Florida. So I got laid off. And at that moment, you're like, well, what do I do next? You know? Yeah. I was 
27 at that time and uh, was collecting unemployment, which was pretty rad, but had no direction really. Yeah. Other than the fact that I loved to homebrew and I was a pretty terrible homebrewer at the time, but I still <laughs> loved doing it, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, I just got this obsession with uh, starting a brewery, which is probably you know, pretty standard for a lot of homebrewers yeah, and you know, yeah. enthusiasts. So I moved home. Um, it was one of those things where you're like, oh shit, <laughs> what went wrong? I moved out when I was 17 and then you find yourself 10 years later in your parents' basement. You're like, oh God. Trying to homebrew in your parents' basement. It's like, man, <laughs> this is, this is not, uh, this, this can't be the way life ends up. But so this is interesting. I'm going to interject right here because one yeah. of these questions is related to what you were saying. And that was, uh, like when did you first learn brewing beer was something that you were really passionate about and you're kind of, yeah, on yeah. Now. Um, so I guess I'll back up a little bit. Yeah, there we um, go. I remember one night I was making dinner with my girlfriend at the time and the grocery store in Jack's beach where we lived started selling like a mixed six pack. They had a, a aisle of warm craft beer. <laughs> It wasn't even cold, but you could pick out like, you know, whatever beers you wanted to to bring home that night Yeah, and then go cool them down yourself. So the the quality of the beer was actually pretty (laughs) trash, but, uh, you know, when, when your palate isn't like fully developed, then you don't really notice all the oxidation Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. aging Mm -hmm. (laughs) that the grocery store has so graciously done for you. (laughs) (laughs) That's for another day. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You could, you could go off on that topic, (laughs) but yeah, there was this beer that Widmere made back in the day called drifter. Mm. And, uh, it was this pale ale that had this, you know, fairly impressive citrus quality to it. Cool. Which I was, you know, kind of blown away by at the time. This was in 2011. This is long before, you know, people were mm-hmm. uh, really exploiting some of the hops that can really develop that flavor profile. And it, it like, it just, it, it, it just clicked in my mind at that time. I was like, you know what? If I really try hard at making at home brewing, I could make a, a better beer than this. And, and, uh, awesome. you know, like I, <laughs> that's I, so I, awesome. <laughs> that, that, that night and that memory will never go away. I just remember at that moment in time, I was just like, I was hooked. I was like, I, I have to try and make better beer than this. And it wasn't a bad beer. It was, it was a really good beer. I liked it. I actually ended up buying a lot more of it after, <laughs> after that night. But that's the one oh, that inspired wow. you. That's yeah, rad. I know it's, it's not a, a very sexy beer and I don't no, think they make no, it that's anymore. That's a great that's awesome. story. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Um, so cool. So grew up in, in, uh, in Idaho, uh, went to college in Florida, parents moved to Bellingham and, uh, you, uh, visiting for holidays, fell in love with Bellingham most likely, and yep. then came back to live home with your parents 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah. So I found myself in the basement and then it was just this, uh, the game was on to like find a way out of the basement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I had started to meet some people around here and Jack Lamb was one of those people. And we were sitting down one night drinking beer and talking about, you know, what we wanted to do with our lives. And because uh, neither of us were really working. I was doing construction for my dad at the time. And I think Jack was uh, writing for a website. So none of that stuff was what, you know, we ultimately wanted to end up doing. And so you're inevitably having that conversation of like, man, what are we going to do? Like, how, how are we going to like do what we want to do. Yeah. And I was like, man, I just want to brew beer. He's like, I want to own a brewery. I was like, okay, well shit, let's, <laughs> let's do this. this so and good. of course when you're drunk, <laughs> like everyone yeah, comes up yeah. with grand plans. This is right? so good. And, uh, you forget about it the next day. 
so I didn't really take it that serious. I mean, I was serious about wanting to, you know, brew beer, but I didn't take the uh, the connection that had been made that night very serious until the next morning. Jack calls me and he goes, "Yo, let's figure this out." Like, all right. Oh, okay. All right. I'm down. <laughs> so we went and met uh, for a beer at Colchin, and um, this was when they just had the one spot on James Street. Mm-hmm. And we're sitting there, and he's like, "All right, what do we got to do to like, you know, start a brewery?" And I was like, I, at the time I'd invested all my money in building this, this like super robust homebrew setup. Yeah. Um, Is it the one you have and you're, it's still like hanging out? Yeah. In the, yeah. It's yeah, in yeah, the yeah, yeah. yeah. Depot. <laughs> um, and I had, hadn't even used it yet. My brother made fun of me all the time because I'd be at home on the weekends, like tinkering with this thing. It's the electric brewery. So I like they give you plans on how to make this thing on, on uh, the internet. And, you know, rightfully so, I kind of looked like a crazed uh, person down there, like wiring this whole thing oh, yeah. up. And so he would call me the Unabomber because I was down there, <laughs> like, you know, splicing <laughs> wires and like, you know, That's putting good. this thing together. And uh, anyway, so eventually that my like dealing with him making fun of me and, and spending all my money on this thing was able to, you know, use it to help start um, Aslan. So Jack's uh, initial investment along with, you know, the, the homebrew system that I had built, we ended up buying a couple little stainless steel conical fermenters and found a little garage to rent and, uh, off we went. Wow. Wow. I don't think I was here around that time. What year was that? Do you remember? That was, uh, we started in the fall of 2012. Yeah. I moved yeah. in here in 2014, actually. Yeah. And then I remember hearing stories actually about these places people yeah. are going, like you yep. had been there, so like your guys' brewery and out of a garage or something. I don't know what it was. But. Yeah. I was down this alley. It was behind, uh, the upfront theater in that alley back there. And, um, we couldn't legally sell the beer that we were making because we weren't licensed as a brewery. Right. So, but I was making beer all the time. This was this was really when I started to like dial in my home brewing, you cool. know, because I was a terrible home brewer before that moment began. <laughs> I was just able to convince Jack that I really cared enough to, <laughs> to have him like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, put his faith in my lack of ability at that moment in time. So I was I was brewing five days a week, every other week. And on the off weeks, I would uh, do construction with my dad. So we'd build up this inventory of beer. You know, we'd have like 40 gallons, which isn't really a lot. But, you know, there was like 10 different styles of beer. And we'd put it on tap and we'd throw a little impromptu party and have people come in and give us feedback on like how bad or good the beer was. And in the beginning, the beer wasn't very good. But all of our guests in the beginning were like, you know, nice to us and mostly just friends and family. And then the last party we threw was actually on Bellingham Beer Week in 2013, I believe. And we had like 300 people packed into this garage. Awesome. And sold out of all of our beer. Sold out. We weren't charging money for it. We just right. put, out, put out a tip jar. People would like, you know, yeah. put money in it. And uh, we sold out of all the beer in like 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> So at that moment, we're like, all right, I think we're on to something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's do something. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And the upfront theater was happy to see us go because when we'd have these parties, they'd oh, be like trying man. to do their shows and occasionally it would get a little loud in our <laughs> garage and they'd be like banging on the wall. Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. I kind of know what that's like, actually. Yeah. And then it's rad. Really, really yeah. rad. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Aslan Brewing. So walk our listeners through... 
uh, what vibe they can expect on their first visit and maybe even what it would look like if they were taking a, a brewery tour with you. Cause you guys have expanded quite a bit since we started. So yeah, yeah or since totally. you started, since we, since we started your brewery, you've expanded <laughs> a lot. <dude. laughs> hey man, you guys have always been strong supporters. So we appreciate yeah, that, man. Yeah. That statement is not, not too far off. Um, yeah, that, so it's a restaurant that's connected to uh, what has become a production brewery. And by production, I mean, you know, we have certain beer that, you know, we make every week and it's the same beer because it's distributed widely. But we we certainly make a lot of other stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so the, the uh, restaurant is um, in the front third of the building um, and there's floor to ceiling glass windows. So there's a lot of natural light that comes in. Um, it's in an old building that was initially built in the mid fifties, uh, that housed, uh, a paint and glass company, uh, mm. that was uh, local here to Bellingham. So the building has kind of always been this like industrial, uh, manufacturing type facility with the front third being the, sh- the, the showroom. Oh, gotcha. Um, which is why they've got the, the tall w- uh, windows and whatnot up there. Um, so we kind of utilize the building in the same format. The front third of the building, restaurant, uh, lots of natural light. We've got a big glass wall that the bar backs up to mm-hmm. that you look into the brewery. And mm-hmm. um, f- from the restaurant, you can see uh, some of our fermenters. And we've got two large oak fooders uh, that sit right behind the window as well. So you can kind of get a, a view of of what happens, you know, uh, behind the veil, so yeah. to, so to say. Um, one thing that when we set out to do this spot is we wanted to make it clear to people that this is where the beer comes from. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes you go into a brewery and and there's no visual connection to like where the beer is being made, which in my mind is kind of wrong, right? So like right. you you want yeah, people to see that. that. I, I uh, love that about you guys' spot up there because yeah, it's. That's what makes a brewery. You want to see the yeah. stainless. Yeah, like, otherwise see the... it's just a bar. Or a yeah, restaurant. yeah, exactly. So, um, and and sometimes I'm sure that's that way because of restrictions with the building or whatnot. But anyway, so the vibe is is uh, because it's a restaurant is is mostly like a family atmosphere. A lot of people go in there to eat food, and uh, you know the beer that we serve there is what we make. Um, so it's uh, yeah, it's a, a family restaurant vibe cool most nine out of ten yeah times. yeah um, it's lively we, though busy yeah, all yeah the it's, time. it's usually pretty busy and then the, the brewery itself uh has changed quite a bit since when we first opened yeah it's um, amazing yeah so we started out on a on a two vessel 15 barrel brew house kind of like what we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. with the combo mash lauder ton mm-hmm. and then a boil kettle whirlpool but after uh about two and a half years on that system um, I convinced Jack that we needed a, a fancier, larger brew house because <laughs> that, I mean, don't get me wrong that, that little 15 barrel brew house was rad. Um, and there are times that I miss it, but I just knew that, you know, the beer that, that we, I really wanted to make was going to be pretty difficult to make on that brew house. Yeah. yeah. And, and also because we were growing and expanding so much at that time, right trying to crank out, you know, beer at the volume we were on that little brew house was extremely labor intensive. Mm-hmm. So the new brew house is a four vessel, 30 barrel, and we've got 
30, 60, and 120 barrel fermenters, and one 15 barrel fermenter that stayed from from the old uh, system, and then obviously the two uh, fooders that we were talking about. Yeah. So all the fermenters are back to back in a row, right in the middle of the brewery, and then the brew house is actually tucked away in the back. That's cool. Yeah. That's so it's just cool. kind of a long uh, rectangular space. Yeah. So cool. and we've covered it before, but I just want to make sure because we probably have some new listeners now. What exactly is a fooder? A fooder is a uh, large oak fermentation vessel. Uh, you can also use it to age uh, beer. Um, specifically, they were originally designed and intended for the wine industry. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Very, very neat. So it's, it's, it's um, cylindrical in shape uh, without the conical bottom. Mm-hmm. Flat bottom, flat top, cylindrical wood tank. Cool. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about Batch 15, arguably one of your most well-known beers. And I think it has a unique story behind it. So you want to tell us a little bit about that beer? Yeah. So batch 15, um, as the name would indicate, was the 15th batch of IPA that we made the first year that we were open. And at that time, uh, there was a whole lot of experimentation that was going on on my part. Um, Mm -hmm. I had never worked a a day in my life in a commercial (laughs) brewery. And then we opened up this, you know, very large, very visible brewery. And it was kind of like that, oh shit moment, like you might be confident as a home brewer, but this is a totally different game that you're playing. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. So there was a ton and you know, there still is a lot of experimentation that goes on, but you know, especially in that first year or two of being open and selling people beer, there was a ton of experimentation that was going on. The previous 14 batches of IPA were all the same, mm-hmm. but very different from each other. And then this one was basically that same recipe as the one that came before it, number 14, but it just turned out way better. And that was part of the learning process of, of, of making beer on a commercial scale. So, so for like the homebrewers out there, I mean, if you take a homebrew recipe and you do the math and you're like, well, I've got this big of a system and I just multiply by this, it should end up tasting the same. That's not how it works. No, not really. Cause <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, really. I, I would say no. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I think the most common answer I get is no. Yeah. There's <laughs> just so much that's different from it. You know, homebrewing, you can get really good at homebrewing, but oftentimes, you know, as a homebrewer, you are making a very small amount of beer in a very inexact way. Even as exact as you think you are as a homebrewer, it's not even close to what you need to be, you know, when you step up into the big leagues, That's you're down crazy. here in like single a ball, yeah. you know, swatting <laughs> home runs. Well, you get your first plate appearance up in the major leagues and you know, you can't take the same approach. It's just not going to work. There's just so much more of this involved specifically with fermenting as a home brewer, likely you're fermenting in a carboy in a dark, cool place in your closet or yeah. down in your basement. And that works just fine. Like you can certainly make beer that way. It definitely works. But when you get down to it, how many people honestly would you be selling that beer to? You know, like if you're being honest with yourself and your friends are being honest to you, it's good, but it's like, (laughs) it's not what you're going to stand in line and pay $6 for, you know, (laughs) for a pint of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So technique with fermenting, uh, yeast management, those are all things that as a homebrewer you're you're not really doing. And then just the sheer scale of of mm-hmm. of of what's happening, you know. And you're also as a homebrewer you're using repurposed equipment that is not specifically intended 
Although these days, homebrew equipment has gotten way more advanced. As a commercial brewer, likely you're using equipment that is specifically designed to, to make beer. Hmm. I mean, you can repurpose dairy equipment yeah. and that works as well. But like you're not, really you're, you're using like legit fermenters, unless you're going a totally rustic approach, you know, and you're yeah. fermenting in logs. oak tanks or yeah. logs or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, they, there's no right and wrong answer, but you can't just scale things from home brewing right. into uh, commercial brewing. It makes sense. So the batch routine was, you know, the story there is that it was the 15th batch of that beer and that's why it's called the batch 15. Batch 15, yep. That's cool. So, like, I noticed a, a few of your beers. So, by the way, we just poured another beer, uh, took a small break and poured another beer. We'll get to that in a second. But we were just talking offline about how a lot of your, your beers, uh, there's, a, like, like recently there's been, like a, like, a song element, like Return of the Mac and, like, yep. all those kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there, a day doesn't go by where I think any of us are listening to music at some point, right? Right, right, right. Um, and especially in the brewery, they're long days. In the summer, oftentimes you're there for 12, 14 hours with your crew and you listen to a lot of music. <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah, got to name a, a lot a of wide, beers. A, yeah, yeah, exactly. And a wide variety of music as well. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think naming beer can oftentimes get a little difficult. You're trying not to name it something that's already been yeah. named. There's a lot of trademark you know, and there's, a, and there's stuff, a ton right? of breweries out there these days and everyone's making a ton of beer. And so yeah. there's a ton of names that need to be come up with or, you know, they need to be developed. Yeah. So I think naming, um, and, and we don't name all of our uh, right. beer after songs, but, you <laughs> right. know, a, a, a large portion of it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. so like this Stillmatic, the beer that we're drinking right now, was named after a Nas album. I had the alt beer that we just recently put out called Big Iron is uh, a, a Marty Robbins song. Mm-hmm. So you can kind of see the the variety of music that is, <laughs> yeah. is being uh, listened to. Um, and then uh, we just did a, a beer for Pint Defiance down in in Tacoma to celebrate their sixth anniversary. And uh, they are super inspired by 90s hip hop and wanted to name it after uh, Salt and Pepper. That's so good. So it's Let's Talk About Six yeah. instead of Let's Talk About Sex. Yeah, that's good. Because it's their sixth anniversary. Yeah, so, yeah. that's yeah. awesome. That was really, very, very well done. So this beer we're drinking, tell us a little bit about, about, about this beer. You gave the name, but uh, you know what, what would you classify the style? So this in complete juxtaposition of the Hellas that we uh, drank, this is like a total art project because this, you know, we're not trying to emulate a certain style of beer. By the Um, way, I just want to let everybody know that this beer is really good. I'm happy with this one. Cool. Thanks, man. It's, uh, I don't really know how to describe it. So I'll just tell you like how we made it. Yeah, let's Um, do that. So it came out of uh, the Fruiter to the right, if you're mm-hmm. standing in front of the bar at the brewery. Ten months ago, we brewed the Illmatic recipe into that fooder. Illmatic was our our first funky, I guess you could say, um, IPA. We fermented it with a Sactois ale yeast, which was uh, misappropriately labeled as Britannomyces by White Labs for a long time. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Whoops. Yeah. yeah. Whoops. <laughs> so it started to come out that 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 actually was a Saccharomyces strain and not Britannomyces. But it it definitely throws some very interesting esters more yeah. so than like even like a, a pretty wild, uh, well not wild, but you know a pretty ester driven uh, ale strain from mm-hmm. you know England, an English ale strain would would throw. So this you could kind of see why some people might think that it was Britannomyces that one point in time so 
uh, still or Illmatic um, fermented in stainless steel and was fermented with that Sactois strain. So what we did here is we brewed the the we we took that recipe, brewed it into the fooder, and it fermented in the fooder with our house ale strain. And the fooder has been populated with Brett Brooks. So this actually is a, a true Brett style cool um, beer in that sense that it has been intentionally uh, <laughs> put into a place where we know there's Britannomyces. So it sat there for 10 months developing the uh, barnyardy, the, you know, the standard Brett Brooks is, is a pretty uh, distinguishable mm-hmm. um, Brett culture. So it was pretty funky when we took it out of that fooder and we only took out uh, about a third of the contents of, the, of that fooder and we, we pumped it into FE6, which is our 15 barrel fermenter. And that fermenter had just been emptied from Pink Yoshi, which was a- Like a raspberry? Yeah, it was it? a raspberry Berliner Weiss. Um, so, and it had fermented on raspberries. So the raspberries were still in the tank. We didn't clean the fermenter we just left it be and you know raspberry fruit is pretty expensive especially if you want to use it in a volume that's you know large enough to be able to be noticeable in beer right and um yeah so i was like wow this would be fun to like see if we could squeeze out just a little (laughs) bit more raspberries from those (laughs) raspberry from those raspberries you know this beer seemed like an appropriate choice you know it was the problem with it in the fooder is that it didn't have an acid profile to it. It was too, it was too bread. It was too bready because of that. Um, I think, you know, when you're talking about cooking and food, chefs will always tell you every, every bit of food can always use a hit of acid. (laughs) And, uh, you know, this beer definitely needed that. So to get that, it was like, well, let's take, um, some of the contents of this fooder and let's pump it onto those spent raspberries and then dry hop it. Cause why not? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, we were going for IPA. The idea was to dry hop it anyway. Um, but the, the raspberry element was just one of those things where, you know, you're in your kitchen and you're trying to come up with something fun from all your leftovers. And so this was kind of that element and Crazy. I don't want to like downplay it. No, it. Like, Oh no, yeah, no. this is the, this is the leftovers. This beard like didn't receive no, any no, attention, no. Yeah. but yeah, but yeah no. I was just kind of trying to use what we had on hand and be opportunistic with it. So, the raspberry doesn't really come through you. If I didn't tell you that there was raspberries in it, you wouldn't notice it. But after you know that you can probably, and I don't know if it's because of the placebo effect or what, right. but at least for me, you can kind of taste that, that little bit of acidic profile, not sour, but like acidic profile that you get from, from yeah. fresh fruit. Yeah, you're right. I can, I can definitely notice it, but I, I, it's I, not wouldn't, a defining have element. I wouldn't have known. Yeah. None that are jazz I feel like, did you taste me on this beer at Aslan, uh, like maybe like two weeks ago or something? Mm-hmm. Was it out of a bottle? Where was it at? Was it right out? Where was that? Where did the beer come from? So we didn't do a, we actually force carbonated this beer. Okay. Okay. And that was because it's an, it's an IPA by what we're calling it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, the, the definition of IPA has been so skewed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, like, who knows what an IPA really yeah. is. Anymore. It's now more of a category than a style. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. <clears throat> and that's fine. That doesn't, you know, it, that's, it, it's a very interpretive uh, yeah. category. So anyway, because of that and because we dry hopped it. So we, we dry hopped this with uh, at a rate of four pounds per barrel with uh, Nelson Slavin. 
Um, my favorite hop, by the way. Yeah. My favorite hop. Hop. This has my name no, on it, you know? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. <Name? laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, it's good too. because yeah. of the fact that we wanted it to be fresh, and I, I had played around with uh, bottle conditioning and keg conditioning and, and IPA, the Space Eagle Brett IPA that we did mm-hmm. before this was kegging and bottle conditioned. The problem that I noticed and what obviously makes sense with that is that the hop character gets changed from the re-fermentation that happens. Mm -hmm. And whether that's a good thing or bad thing, uh, obviously that's interpretive. But in this case, we didn't want to change that. And so we we force carbonated it. And I felt like, you know, for an IPA, that's not sacrilegious. If we're talking about a barrel aged Saison, you know, then (laughs) then I think we've got Definitely. That's that's mean that's almost to be expected on an IPA these days. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very, very good. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much it. Um art project versus trying to uh Yeah, a lot of layers of this one. Heck yeah, dude. You know. So if someone's tasting this beer at here at we're sitting again we're sitting at the um, the Aslan Depot in downtown Bellingham, and uh, if someone comes in and tastes this beer, what should they expect out of uh, maybe the nose, like on the aroma, and what should they expect to taste? So it's gonna have a distinguishable funk to yeah. the, to the mm-hmm. nose for sure, um, and a lot of that is coming from the Britannomyces element uh, in the beer. Uh, you will get a little bit of hop aroma uh but mostly i I get kind of that typical brett barnyardy horse blanket yep um funk to it um and then on the uh, on the tongue i get a lot of i know this this word gets totally overused but i get it it is uh juicy in the element that you can taste fruit Mm -hmm. i agree um and it has uh what i describe as like a diesel-y hop element that is maybe dank mm-hmm. uh as, as another uh descriptor but i i would call it diesel-y in the sense that it's kind of like uh pungent yeah. and it stands out um so it's got that element to it and then the third element that you wouldn't necessarily notice and it kind of goes in with the the juicy element is the raspberry mm-hmm. is the um, acid profile from the fruit yeah and as you're tasting it i definitely get i definitely feel like I'm at least I'm tasting some kind of acid like acid yeah. profile in there. Like but I wouldn't have been able to determine that it when was I first right. when I first smelled it you could definitely get a lot of that funky bread, but now after drinking a bit of it, that kind of citrusiness like they play off each other really well mm-hmm. that I think the more I drink it and smell I the less I notice the bread. Like Brett. I yep. think it would be a good uh like gateway Brett beer for someone where it's not too, not too funky. Like it watch might, out, yeah. Might, yeah, you know, <laughs> like yeah. so good. No, like, I, I totally agree. I mean, so Brett is Brett for people you know coming into it for the first time can be a little bit, um, a little you know, intense. yeah, a little acquired where it's it's something different than they're not normally drinking. And oh yeah, if especially coming you know if an IPA drinker wants to pick this up, it's not going to be a West Coast bitter hoppy IPA or something like that right. where where they might read ipa but yeah but at the same time yeah you you give give it a shot and it um it really opens up to that kind of yeah it, juicy it, it is funny gateway is <laughs> is is probably a, a very <laughs> accurate way of describing um that because it isn't overpowering necessarily in one way or another yeah yeah so you know you almost can't have a pint today without like you can't go out and have a pint today without hearing someone around the table talking about starting a brewery or a tap house 
Um, I think now I'm at a point where I'm like maybe meeting someone like once or twice a month just with an, a tap house or idea or something. And it's kind of crazy. So what are some successes for people who are listening who are, you know, dreamt pretty much every home brewer who's dreamt to start a brewery? Um, you know, what are some successes and some struggles you've experienced along the way, whether that's through the startup phase or it could even happen yesterday, but you know, right. Yeah. I would say, you know, in, in hindsight, I don't know if I would necessarily do anything different because we all learn from the successes and failures that Mm -hmm. we have Mm -hmm. you could certainly make it a lot easier on yourself and even if it's like just going and interning at another brewery and trying to like get some experience uh on some level and that will go so far makes so san juan island brewing that uh recently opened their head brewer uh interned at uh, Wander at Colshan and at our spot. And I think maybe somewhere else too, but he worked with us. He just came That's in cool. and was like, Hey, can I come work for you guys? And, you know, as an owner of, or, you know, I, I'm not the owner, but as like a, you know, when you take ownership of your brewery and like, it's difficult to just like have people come in and like yeah. work, you know, because you have to show them how you want that. It's like bringing right. on a, in a, another employee. And if you don't need another employee, it can be a bit of a hindrance, but right. um, he was a super nice guy. And I just, you know, in that moment, you're like, I would appreciate you know, if someone would extend that to me, if, if, you know, I yeah. was ever asking for that. Or so, even just doing some like job shadowing kind of thing where maybe point. you just watch or something, but yeah, yeah, that's cool. So I think he came and worked for us. It was at least a month, but I want to say it was like two months. Wow. Yeah. In. And, uh, that's cool. Yeah. I was just like, the only stipulation is, uh, you can't, uh, you can't take these, these recipes. Yeah. No, I mean, not that you would necessarily want to, you <laughs> right, know, right, right. of course he's trying to do his own thing, but yeah, take these I was recipes like, just, just, you. uh, please make it you know, here. Yeah. <laughs> be here for the right reason. Don't make me regret this. Yeah. yeah don't yeah. make me regret Which, no, that's Of cool. course he did not. <laughs> that's he's, cool. He's a, he's a great guy. <laughs> yeah. Back so. to what we talked about way in the beginning. That's a cool part of the community too, where, I mean, there, there was no, you guys, you and Wander and Colson didn't have any sort of like obligation to take them in and, yeah. and train them essentially for free or, you know, yeah. but that's it, a cool, cool yeah, thing so in I this community say, that. Yeah. And that's, that's the, like what that. you guys have been saying the whole time is the community element, right? Yeah, and, man. Big, big. Very cool. Very cool. So like, so you recommend like that they go do like a brewer would go do, you know, go work for someone else as an understudy or, or, or something of that nature before they step into actually starting a brewer, a brew, a brew house anyway. So like, what would be for you guys, what have been maybe like one of your successes that you've had along the way? And I don't know, this is a weird question. I don't exactly know how to answer it myself, but you know, something that you guys have done well that you view as, you know, this has been a success you know there's obviously been a lot of hurdles and a lot of failures you've learned from along the way but what's something you guys have you you deem you know like this is this was a success um yeah that's i don't know is it opening the second location the the depot as a result of how well things are going is it um you know yeah i mean the depot is definitely you know a sign of success right to be able to open a second location i mean you guys know that with Mm -hmm with overflow taps and expanding into Barkley, you know, mm-hmm. you don't run an unsuccessful business and open more businesses. right? <laughs> yeah. So, so it's a sign of success, but uh, yeah, I don't That's a, that's a tough mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. to answer. Mm-hmm. I guess I would just say you gotta, you gotta believe in what you're doing. 
cool and stick to that and don't start making knee-jerk reactions because when things aren't going well it's really easy to do that for sure and say oh well it's your fault or it's your fault you know pointing fingers when things aren't going well is, is an easy thing to do but you know owning up to the fact that maybe it is your fault mm-hmm. and you should just work a little bit harder yeah. to not make it be cool. your fault so that's focusing cool. on how to improve rather than yeah yeah, yeah. Just, that's perfect that's perfect so yeah you just we just mentioned briefly the the depot so tell us a little bit about about the depot and, and more specifically on the back side of what customers maybe aren't seeing when they walk into to this space um I know you got you got some fun stuff going on in the back there, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, so it it all kind of started with the idea or the uh, you know, putting into motion getting the new brew house up at the main brewery cuz doing that um forced our barrel program that was awesome. in at the beginning of its, you know, infancy out of the brewery cuz we didn't have room for it anymore. And then this building came up for lease right down the street from us and it was on the market for mm-hmm. know, a while, a while. Yeah. yeah it was six months or so and we'd look at it every day and like kind of not really think about it and then my dad one day was like you guys should really try to get that building <laughs> <laughs> and he he like did a phenomenal sales pitch like he like he was the guy getting a commission on the on the leasing <laughs> of <the> space. <laughs> and so we ended up pulling the trigger and by the time we threw our hat into the ring there were i think like three or four other businesses that were also looking at this uh, spot we were able to convince the landlord the landlord that you know we would be worthy tenants and so they handed us the keys and what it allowed us to do was relocate our barrel program and expand it uh, into a dedicated space and so the bar area the common area in this building houses about half of the barrels maybe two-thirds that we have in in our uh, stock of very cool barrels yeah. for, the, for the building so for those who have been into the depot this wall of barrels we're looking at they're not just for looks they're actually holding beer in them is what you're saying right yeah <laughs> yeah 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 for anyone who's ever yeah. questioned it they actually have beer <laughs> they in them. do have beer yeah yeah we yeah. had a members event here actually within the last uh, few months it was last quarter i think uh, and, uh, part of that event was the members, uh, you guys, I mean, there's like, I don't know, it's like a nail or a screw hanging off these things. Yeah. So you drill a hole in the, uh, the head of the barrel and then plug it with a stainless steel nail. Boom. So the yeah. term pulling nails comes from, uh, <laughs> any nail, yeah, that's good. Removing yeah, a nail we, from a barrel to yeah, taste yeah, it. Yeah. Then we tasted some beer right out of, uh, out of the barrel, which is really, really unique experience. But just so like, I mean, I was going to ask you this, but we're in here. So it's, I mean, if you, you know, if you have never been here and it's your first time in here, you're getting like, to me, it's definitely a different vibe than Aslan. I mean, that's hands down, yep. right? Than the brewery, yep. uh, kind of a more comfortable, uh, swanky, almost like, uh, there's, there's nice leather couches in here and, uh, almost, uh, it's just a very relaxing place to enjoy the products that you guys have to offer. Almost like really, uh, enjoy your guys's beer in an environment where you can, it's kind of quieter maybe. And I can actually sit down and, and really think about the beer that I'm drinking. Yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of the intent. The restaurant is a restaurant and it's not necessarily a place where, um, it's kind of loud and there's yeah. a lot there, you know, oftentimes there's kids running around and, mm-hmm. um, Mm-hmm. which is fine. It's a wonderful place to, to bring your family if you want to have a beer and, and some food. But uh, it's due to the, that nature, it's not what we've realized is that it, it's not necessarily 
the place where you could release right um some of these beers from, yeah. the, from the barrel program that you know they might just go over some some people's yeah they, right. they might go unlooked yeah you know, or unappreciated by the, yeah the comment because yeah. not every patron that comes in there is looking for yeah a brand IPA barrel, yeah. That, you know got rested on yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if you come here you got a chance to get that but like yeah. so you walk in here and on the left wall there's a bunch of uh, barrels that have beer in them which is pretty awesome and then uh, you order your beer at the bar uh, which is great. And then, uh, you've got, uh, so what do you got like behind the house? So you guys do some, I mean, this thing's called the Aslan Depot and you ha- there's a blending component to this, right? I'm, I'm going to jump in real yeah, quick because I, I don't want that last comment to go unlooked. So for those people who have been to the brewery and maybe not to the depot, what you're saying is the depot is where you're releasing a lot of these new beers. So good point. Yeah. There, you're, if you're just going up to the brewery, you're going to, you're going to miss some of these, these releases. Yeah, absolutely. So certain beer, especially the stuff from the barrel program will have it if if we have draft of it it'll be on tap down here and it's cool. likely not going to be on tap up there cool and, that, and that's just because for one we don't have a ton of it to go around right and right two we've just seen that you know this is more of the uh clientele that would be more interested for sure in drinking yeah that, so makes sense it makes yeah, sense cool so yeah, so back of the house, you do some blending. Is that is that what what's going on back there, man? Yeah, so behind the the wall, there are more barrels back there, and we also have our original 15 barrel bright tank that we saved and brought down here. That is our blending tank. So, unless it's a single barrel version of something that came out, it needs the barrels when they're done need to be blended together, and you obviously need a receiving vessel to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So, Back there is where we're actually doing a lot of blends um, that are coming together and, you know, will ultimately come out as a finished product. Um, we only bottle condition and keg condition any of the beer that comes out of this this program. Um, cool. And for one, that's because we feel that's the best way to represent the beer itself. Uh, if you're going to wait a year or longer on something, um, you should be able to wait for the beer to properly carbonate in the bottle. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, but if not, I mean, everyone has their own technique. Yeah. So if, if someone wants to force carbonate, then, you know, that's totally up to them. That's their beer and that's how they want to do it. But for us down here, um, and especially with the equipment that we have, we're only bottle conditioning. And if we're doing draft, we're conditioning in the keg as well. And so the next beer that we're going to try is a beer that we haven't released yet. It's another interesting one kind of in in more of the realm of what i refer to as art project stuff where you're not you're you're doing something that is coming from more of a place that is a personal motivation or a personal um uh sweet endeavor not trying to recreate something that somebody else right yeah yeah love it love it so I heard you guys are putting on a uh, like a fresh hop festival soon at the depot. And, and so the question I have is 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 this like a Bellingham first? Is this the first fresh hop festival in Bellingham that we can like think of? I think I don't. I don't. It might be. I don't know. Have you heard of one, Adam? Like, have you nah, heard of a fresh I hop mean, festival? I'm sure there's nah, like a breweries. I don't or, know, man. Uh, bars that have put on like yeah, multiple fresh hop. There's a lot of fresh hop beers I mean, coming like, around, but tap like takeovers are different. F- festival yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So what do you guys got going on? So, uh, so first of all, what day is the, is that, is that event? I got it. I got it. Hold on. I'm like, I'm like super, uh, event. I'm super event focused. So, 
Uh, hold on. No, you're, you're so funny. I don't even know. You're not the event planner, too? You're not the brewer and the event planner? Weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. You're not the brewer event it's planner? It's coming up. I think it's on the 20th or 21st. It's on the 29th. 29th. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, so that event is on the 29th, and that's here at the Aslan Depot. And yep. you guys will be featuring uh, your beers and some other. I, I just read recently some other Fresh Hop beers as well, not yeah, just absolutely. your own Fresh Hop beers. Yeah, and that, that continues to move in the theme of like what the depot actually is this is you know um a place where we serve a lot of the beer that um we make that comes out of our barrel program but it's also um a bar that serves beer from other breweries as yeah, well yeah which is so right like the tap list here is usually about one third of our stuff and then two-thirds other people's stuff so the fresh Hop forum will feature i think there's like 12 different fresh hop cool. beers and then we also have i think like six uh oktoberfest style lagers cool and then um that's how, sweet how many fresh hop beers are you guys doing this year uh we just did two cool yep and i like that i feel like when yep. some breweries guys i've heard a few yeah. that are coming out with like six, six yeah. 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 it's just like Holy shnikes. There's a lot There's that goes many. into making a fresh hop. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, going over and picking so, up the so hops. So did you, did you go over to Yakima? Or? I personally did not, but uh, Jack did. Cool. Yeah, he Very drove good. over. We work really closely with Roy Farms. Mm -hmm. um, wonderful people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we got Centennial hops from them. And then there's uh, this, uh, I, I don't know what you, it's it's not a business, but you know uh, they employ uh, veterans. Um, oh yeah. And it's it's here locally. It's yeah. up in Linden. Um, yeah, yeah. They do like a farm. It's a yeah, farm. Yeah, so it's a farm. For, yeah, farm yep. for veterans. Yeah. So uh, it's called Growing Veterans, and they one of the things that they grow is is hops, and they actually, I, I think the whole farm is certified organic. The hops definitely are. Yep. So uh, we work with them because we make organic beer and yeah, it's a, a nice partnership to have. And very so we're cool. we're, no, we're cool. going to be releasing these up in Linden. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it, I mean it's a it's a great uh cause. So we work with them. We actually went up there and helped pick uh all the hops and they've got enough plants where we got like 120 pounds of hops this year, which is not, you know, an astronomical number, but it's yeah. still, you know, it's more than, you know, what you'd get out of your backyard. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um so we did another another uh fresh hop beer with those hops and that will actually be the beer that we pour down here uh, uh at the fresh hop forum and i think cool. it gets released that day as well cool so yeah that's pretty rad so that the the program he's talking about i forget the name of it but basically what they do is uh they provide veterans a way to uh come and and a lot of these guys have like ptsd but the they can come in and, and do like gardening type stuff and grow vegetables and fruits and that kind of thing and hops and stuff and a lot of the same things that our veterans learn in the military about discipline are applied to farming. If you're not disciplined, if you don't have a schedule, if you don't, I mean, it just kind of actually works for their personality. And so um, it's an interesting program that, that they have. And I, again, I forget what it's called and I don't have access to the internet. I'd look it up real quick, but um, but yeah, that's a really cool program. And I yeah. just recently heard about it like maybe like two weeks ago. So I had another thing that I was at, but yep. that's cool. Super nice people. Cool. So you guys, yep. so I think I saw a photo of that actually. So you guys, did they come up and like you and like pour hops in your one of your guys' yeah. tanks or something like yeah, that? The, like, the ceremonial uh, yeah, dosing yeah. of hops into the whirlpool. <laughs> yeah, 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 dude. Yep. That's great. That is great. 
right. Yeah. So, um, so you've got that beer. What's what's another fresh hop that you have going on? You said you're doing so the two. the one we did uh, with Roy Farms is Centennial. That's right. Um, That's right. And due to when those got picked, that one's coming out first. Cool. Um, I think right now that beer is still warm in the fermenter, so we haven't we're we're still like a week or two cool. away. But uh, yeah, so we've got they're both IPAs. Cool. And I think next year, depending on what we have available, we'll kind of start looking into you know doing something other than a fresh hop. You know, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense to do an IPA with fresh hops because um, they you know, sell hops well. are such an overwhelming <laughs> yeah. element of IPA. Yeah. But. And so these fresh hop beers, they're so basically you're making a trip over to Yakima picking up a, a truckload of hops, bringing it back yep. and brewing same day. Ideally you get the hops in the morning and then you're they're using the them that in the afternoon. afternoon. Yeah. Wow. That's killer. And, and they're coming off. Yeah. So off the vines like, oh, that yeah. morning. I mean, these hops, so it's when, not like when, they're sitting when they on the show farm up, around. they're still warm they're because they have field morning. Yeah. Just, you know, so something I learned recently, like, which I didn't realize and you, you both, you guys probably knew is so hops are actually a little bit like volatile. So like you, if oh, yeah. you, I had no idea that yeah, the, they I think can, it was like, Jack that was telling me the other day. Self combust. I had you no idea they could self combust in a in a way that would be conducive to that. There's just so much heat that comes out of them. Supposedly, it, it can happen. I've never tried to see if you yeah. can make it work. Yeah, like in your backyard, just <laughs> yeah. yeah, do something like that. I mean, it might be a fun uh, <laughs> project you know, show for MythBusters. Yeah, you know? <laughs> or like your Instagram feed or something like yeah. that. That'd be kind of cool. Here we are trying to get hops to self-ignite. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is great. Yeah, that, I had not um, heard that. That's typically, like, you're not trying to do that when you're putting them into beer. You know? Yeah, so. no, I think Jack was saying something that like uh, the hops came, come, came over, whether it was this year or whatever year it was, and like you have to open them up and kind of let them like cool yeah. off or something. Like they almost got kind of hot coming over. Is that? Is yeah. That a- so last year uh, we worked with this hop farm down in California and it's, it's a little difficult. So Roy farms doesn't do fresh hops. A lot of these farms that are more dedicated to like smaller contracts for uh, craft brewers, yeah. like specialize almost in, in releasing fresh hops. Gotcha. Interesting. Um, Crosby Hop Farm does a ton of fresh hop stuff. And it's just a way for them to, you know, move their hops. And, you know, a yeah. lot of people get excited about fresh hop Absolutely. beers. So, uh, but Roy Farms it, uh, doesn't really do a lot of small contracts. So for them, they're, they don't focus on doing fresh hops. So until this year, we hadn't, well, actually, that's a lie. We worked with them a little bit last year, but that was the first time we were their first and only customer that they've ever given fresh hops to. And they're <laughs> like very cool. hesitant and resistant <laughs> to it. We're like, there's only so many organic farms out there. Yeah, you know? come like, on. We like, need please. you guys to help us out here. <laughs> that's pretty so good. So last year, we also did two fresh hop beers. And the first one we did, we worked with this farm in California and they sent us the hops and because they're coming from California, they get shipped, right? Yeah. So they boxed them up and then saran wrapped the boxes to the pallet so they couldn't breathe at all. Oh, so when the hops man. showed up, they were totally rotten. Oh, <laughs> and, man. And surprisingly, the not on fire. Yeah. Oh, man. That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. So that's a good little story right there. Yeah. That's a good little story. Yeah. So that was a bust. <laughs> and, uh, it was funny the the farm they called they called me this year and were like so do you want to do a fresh up beer with us? <laughs> I was uh, like you don't remember what happened last year? <laughs> no, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Oh man. 
All right, so on to our next beer, our last beer, Jack or Jack. Wow, <laughs> my bad, uh, Frank. What are we tasting here, man? What did, we, what, did you, what did you just serve us, bro? So this is probably the strangest beer I've ever made, um, and I say that because I don't even know how to really classify it. Awesome. Again, it's easier for me to describe kind of like how we went through the process yeah. of creating this beer, and so what we have in front of us is what we're calling the third order referring to the monastery element that comes with so what we were trying to create was a bach beer this is definitely not a bach it's a maybe a version of it (laughs) um and i'll get into why that is but the third order refers to um uh the monastery element that comes with the tradition of making bach beer Um, man the third order of St. Francis uh, was a group of monastic men that were making Bach beer originally in uh, uh, Germany. Uh, they were monks and they were making beer and, and Bach beer kind of has a bit of a, an interesting, um, not necessarily clear uh, beginning, um, but definitely monks were brewing Bach beer in Germany. And the third order of St. Francis was a group of monks that were attributed to uh, making uh, Bach beer. And you can imagine that when Bach was being made in the early parts of the 18th century, um, it was probably pretty rustic. It's yeah. quite different than what it was, yeah. what it is, what yeah. we know of a Bach beer rough. today. So I felt like that name was very fitting to kind of what this beer is, which is pretty rustic Mm um i'll explain kind of why that is so the beer itself started out as a stainless steel ferment Um, we fermented it until the point where we would spund the beer and instead of spunding uh we transferred the beer into uh, a french oak puncheon Mm. uh actually we had three puncheons i believe or four four puncheons that this went into um it started out as only Munich malt, so 100% Munich malt is what created this beer, which is what gives it kind of this uh, orangish yeah, red beautiful. hue. Yeah, it's got a nice, with the, the light coming in the window, it glows, yeah. and it's really yeah. nice color. I was going to point that out beautiful for- Beautiful color on this thing. The listeners who so can't see it. So that's only Munich malt. Kind of like a light um, red, red. Wow, almost. cool. And before I bottled it, it actually, I kind of hated the way it tasted. <laughs> it tasted good. like peanut butter and jelly. Oh, that's so <laughs> It was really, so strange. It's so like, rad. Not, not necessarily you would never the flavor you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, back to the back to the story. So instead of spunding it. So real quick, we've mentioned spunding multiple times here. Like for the, for the listeners who don't know, what does that mean? So spunding is the act of bunging the tank that you're uh, gotcha. fermenting. Cool. So... Um, we're instead of letting all of the final elements of fermentation, the CO2 that's being created, instead of letting that bubble out into yep. the bucket and then go out into the atmosphere, we close the tank cool. to capture all that CO2. Sweet. And that CO2 then gets absorbed into the beer and creates the natural carbonation. Perfect. So instead of spunding this, and you spund it at like the last third of fermentation. And that's typically when in traditional lager making, you would move from your primary fermentation vessel to your horizontal lagering tank. Um, cool. And that's because that last bit of fermentation is going to scrub out O2 in the receiving vessel. So we moved this into uh, French oak casks at that moment in time. And the timing was done that way because of the oxygenation and obviously going into oak 
you're going to get micro oxygenation, but we didn't want to move a final product into oak and absorb a ton of O2. And that's because in this case, these casks that this went into were, I, I confidently knew they were clean. I work with a winemaker named Todd Alexander, who is extremely reputable in the sense that you're not going to get used oak from him that is infected with bacteria That's cool. or uh, wild yeast. So these vessels were picked out for that reason, um, because we knew that it was going to be clean if we put you know, we're, we're trying to make a clean yeah. beer and put it in oak and we're not, we're not trying to get funk out of it. Yeah. We're not trying to get, you know, a, a bacteria element. We're not trying to get lactic acid or acetic acid production. Um, so anyway, moving it into oak when it was still fermenting was a choice that was made because we wanted to scrub out the bulk of the O2 that was in that, in that vessel. So move it into these, these vessels. And this was in the middle of winter. Actually, we moved them in, in in November and then uh, brought them down here to the depot and left them in the unconditioned airspace in the back. So this lagered yeah. in uh, in more of a traditional lagering sense where you're, you're lagering at the uh, air temperature that is available to you. So in the wintertime, mm-hmm. um, your lagering obviously means to hold or to store. Um, we're holding and we're storing this beer in the way that the monks probably would have been doing back in the day, which is in oak casks and at ambient air temperature, or if they're lucky enough, they have a a cave that they can put them in. Um, We don't have a cave. I wish we did. Um, you kind of you kind of have a little spot cave downstairs. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, you guys yeah, developed yeah, yeah. that. The, you guys the, put anything in there yet? The personal just... cellar. Yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> the stairs are too narrow to get a, a barrel. Oh, down. That's a good point, actually. <laughs> just gonna take it apart. It's a great place to store beer, though. Yeah, that's cool. I think the thing that I like most about this beer is the story that goes behind it. Yeah, um, for sure. And yeah, that's rad. So after three months, um, once spring hit and we started to get warmer temperature. It was time to, uh, since we're not in a cave that we can kind of keep at, you know, ground temp throughout summer. Yep. When the air temperature started to increase, we moved the, uh, the beer out of the casks and into the blending tank. And it's a still product at that time. Yep. And it kind of had this like peanut butter and jelly. It was, (laughs) it, it was clean. There was no, as what we intended. Right. There's no Brett. There's no bacteria element, um, which was great, but it just had this like, and I think it was because we only used Munich malt. I mean, I know that's why. It's so cool. You imagine this? Like, but imagine your face, dude. It was just like, like, oh, that's, I mean, it didn't taste bad. It tasted yeah. great, but it was like peanut butter and jelly. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to drink peanut butter and jelly, you know? <laughs> that's not how it tastes. We're now. not trying to be oh, like, omnipoyo here and, and make some crazy like food beer. Um, but yeah, so that kind of drove the next part of this beer, which is how we bottle conditioned it and kind of what that there's this like steeliness to this beer, kind of like if you can imagine what the taste of like clean, hard, wet metal might mm-hmm. taste like or like granite. Um, there's this like it's like lightly fruity mm-hmm. and it has that kind of what I'm referring to as steeliness to it. Um, and that is really what I would attribute to, uh, the yeast that we, uh, we used for the, uh, referment in the bottle. And that is champagne yeast. Oh, cool. Um, That's really. Rad. I went with that 
because I was afraid <clears throat> that if we did uh, lager yeast, for one, we might get... Um, I, ha- I haven't experimented yet with uh, bottle conditioning with lager yeast, and I would love to. But I think one of the things that you're worried about is some of the off flavors that might come from that. Right. So, so this to the glass is a clean beer. That's what you're saying. Yes. So I feel That's like I'm tasting sick. a little bit of like kind of some tartness in there and stuff that I would have assumed was bacteria. So what's giving it that? Uh, that would be the champagne yeast. Okay. Cool. Um, and when you think about drinking champagne and then you take a sip of this, you might be able to, um, pull that correlation in. Yeah. Like, I can wow, definitely that get like, that too. I, uh, yeah. I mean, it's not, I would not use the word funky to describe this beer, but it's, yeah. I also don't think I would have thought it was clean either. Yeah. And you know, honestly, I it's, haven't put it under the microscope to see, good. um, which maybe we should do and see if there's and, any. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not trying to, I was in no way trying to call <laughs> yeah. you out and say you're wrong. No, yeah, yeah, it's no, just, I, it's got a lot of character and, you know, like a little, yeah. like it's just, it, yeah, it's really, I was not expecting this. I mean, when you pour, when I look at the beer in the glass, uh, and it, it, you, you gave it to me, I, when I tasted it, smelled it and tasted it, was not what I was expecting. Yeah. I was tasting, I was expecting almost like a, what I would get from like a Flanders red. Yeah. You know, yeah, kind yeah. of type That's thing. kind of the color. Yeah. Almost. So does, does the, the small amount of oxygen in the barrels too, like, could that add some, some elements of? Absolutely. I mean, there's I know, nothing like, that was part of this that should be overlooked. Um, only using Munich malt. It was a very lightly hop. It was actually, it was, it was quite malty coming out of the stainless fermenter and it was quite malty coming out of the barrel, but you could pull coming out of the barrel. You could taste some it's oak a super it complex well. beer for it's one malt and lightly hot. Yeah. You know? So it's a lot of, I mean, it's, this is a really, 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 really good beer. It's an odd I mean, beer. This is I, like, yeah. I, I like, like this it, beer. but I don't know. I don't know. Like, I don't know how to actually, yeah, categorize it. This is a great. So. I mean, I I would definitely drink more of this beer. This is fabulous. I mean, it's one of the better beers that we've had on our podcast. This is a fabulous beer. I'm blown away. I really appreciate the kind words. I I honestly, this is one That's of those good. things where like it's better to just enjoy it for what it is yeah. and not try to like not try to say like, like oh, it's down this to or that. The, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It's definitely not this or that. It's, no, this is it's fabulous. Own, it's its own thing. So, so this beer you have not released yet. Not yet. So when are you planning to release it and where? It will be released at the depot. Um, yeah, we don't have any draft of this. That's just bottles. Um, and I poured this out of a 750. Most of it is in 500s. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, remind me again with what, what are you calling this beer? Uh, third order. Third order. Third order. Yeah. Yeah. Third order will be released at the depot. It'll be released at the depot in October. Cool. Cool. Maybe November. Yeah, you guys are going to want It's ready guys. to go. I'm honestly waiting on the labels to show up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize that. So you have to get the label. Do the labels have to get approved? Every Does every label have to get approved? It, well, it depends on what you want to do with the beer. Um, if you're trying to sell it at Hagen, it needs to have a barcode on it. Okay. Because Hagen needs, like stores like that need to have a way to register the product. Okay. And also scan it at the cash register. This beer will never make it to a store like that. There's only 40 cases of it. Yeah. And uh, honestly, the intent is to sell 99% of that out of 
the depot. Cool. Um, if no one wants to buy it from here, if we realize that like it's a total bust, well, I'll just sell it and drink it myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll buy a case for you or, to sell or, it. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. if there's bottle shops like Pint Defiance yeah. or Elizabeth Station, yeah. for example, that want to buy a case, then, you know, we might send a case to them. Um, but 40 cases is not a lot. Um, no. So it... And I'm not saying, you know, you got to come stand in line. I certainly don't want to advocate that. Um, it will be around for a long period of time. Cool. But it's also one of those things that, you know, for me, these beers like this are mostly beautiful in the sense that even if I tried to recreate it, I couldn't. And when it's gone, then it's gone. You yeah. know, it's a consumable art, which kind of sucks. Yeah, yeah, you, gotcha. you definitely yeah, like, got to stash a few of these away and yeah, see how they stash, age. You definitely got to stash them away because, like, this. Yeah, because it's a consumable art. If it's something that you really love, like you, you know that at some point in time you're gonna eventually pop your last bottle of it, yeah. and then it's gonna be gone. So yeah, that's um, cool. So enjoy it when you, when you can. Uh, as as I guess the the motto of limited release barrel aged cool. beer. Cool. Yeah. So two questions, man, before we sign off. One, can you share with us a fun fact that most people don't know about you? Like maybe your like girlfriend maybe knows about you, but nobody else knows. Oh man. Come on, man. That's crazy. Um I played football one year. <laughs> I, I mean I, I love sports. You know, you heard me talking yeah. earlier about how I love watching college football. I played football one year and somehow managed to make the all star team and <laughs> I I was so full of myself because I you know you're like oh yeah, yeah. I made the all-star team so good I was a tight end and look at me like I'm short yeah. I'm like I do not belong <laughs> on a football field <laughs> but at that time apparently I worked as a tight end and uh, the the all-star coach um, I made the all-star team because there was no other tight end <laughs> in our league that actually that was utilized as a pass catching tight end gotcha so i was the obvious choice it wasn't you know like yeah you know i I was good enough but you know it was mainly because my competition wasn't being utilized in the same way that (laughs) i was so good so this coach he was one of the coaches that didn't utilize his tight end for pass catching and so i I, like would show up to practice and like all the plays that we were running were just me blocking and i was like this sucks so i quit and I, the my number one and only regret still to this day is that I did not stick that out. Oh. I should have done it. My dad made me go and watch the game too. Oh. I was like being like, dude, you fucked up. Man. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I did. that's a great, <laughs> yeah. great. Uh, so we got one last question. What would you tell eighteen-year-old Frank if he was listening to this? This is like my favorite question in the world. And it could dude. be about beer or it could be I about I saw life. this on the script and I was like, wow, I don't know how I'm going to answer that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a deep question. It's yeah. so rad. It's a oh, big question. Man. This is a good one. Like, after like eight beers, this would be <laughs> a know, great right? question to have. Shoot. We should, we should have had a couple more before we <laughs> asked this one. Yeah. I don't know. I, this is going to be a somewhat cliche answer, but I th- and this kind of goes in line with the answer that I just gave to the previous question is that... Um, you got to keep your head up and you have to work hard and, and don't take anything for granted because just because you think you're good, like I thought I was a really good home brewer and good enough to not work in a commercial brewery before opening up a commercial (laughs) brewery. Bad idea. (laughs) You know, um, I thought I was too good to, you know, play on the all-star team because I wasn't getting included in offensive plays besides blocking. That Mm -hmm. was a bad idea, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, on my part to quit. So 
Um, just because things aren't going your way, don't don't quit. Don't give up. Cool. You gotta you gotta fucking put your head down and, and go to work. Well, hey, it's uh, great note to end this dude, thing on, Frank. This has been awesome, guys. I, it's a it's a pleasure and an honor to be on your your podcast. It's yeah, it's been a appreciate good time. it. Appreciate yeah. the time. It's been good. Yeah. So uh, let's uh, we actually have beer in these glasses this time before I try to do a, <laughs> like a weird cheers. So cheers, cheers to uh, craft cheers, beer and cheers. Yeah. Aslan Brewing and everything you guys are doing. And uh, this has been great. Awesome. Sweet. Yep. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Adam and I truly do appreciate it. We own a social good tap house up here in the Pacific Northwest that donates 25 cents a pint to charities that provide access to clean drinking water in developing countries. And so we started this podcast to just connect with more people and hopefully spread more awareness for our mission. Again, thank you so much for listening.